This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the traditional lands of the Karankawa, the Chumash, and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey, y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine Fury, aka the Blasian Blurred, the busiest mixed race by gendered bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom and two-time Asian American Podcasters Association's Golden Crane Award-winning podcaster in this podcasting game. Ah, I missed throwing the travel agent thing in there, but you know, whatever. I'll get there one day. Uh, this is episode 163, and I have to apologize at the top because it is I'm recording this intro at lunchtime on Tuesday, March 15th, which is the day the show is supposed to drop at midnight. Um, my schedule was thrown off in such a way that I did not realize today was Tuesday. Just straight up didn't. And um, and I think Daylight Saving played into that a little bit too. I also worked on Sunday when it, I wasn't originally planning on working on Sunday, so... Yeah, I think it all just threw me off. And um, and then yesterday, I just had a lot of work to do and meeting, a very long phone meeting um, that uh, just threw my whole day. So I didn't I didn't get to, to put the show together yesterday or over the weekend. So sorry about that, but hopefully this will still drop on Tuesday because all I have to do is uh, edit this in once I'm done recording it and uh, hopefully get that up for you. But uh, uh, sorry I missed the commute. For those of you who are commute listeners, um, just a quick update before we get into today's show for the emergency fundraiser for Militarily Mix. We have just hit $200 and five cents in the, um, or not just, but a couple days ago. I I'm just behind because of how crazy this weekend was to get the artwork on Instagram updated. Uh, but yeah, I do want to thank Nicole, Amanda, Nina, Ivy, Elizabeth, Anne, and Jennifer for your contributions, both um, the financial drops in PayPal and also the purchases of the t-shirts. And I have reinstated or re-released, I don't know what the words are, uh, the 2021 Be Your Mix SL fundraiser t-shirt from last year. Um, because that design is so fire and people have asked to reopen it, um, that shirt is now available on militantlymix.com slash merch for a limited time only um, as part of this fundraiser. At a bare minimum, we're trying to raise $1,000, and at the most comfortable, like what would actually get us more comfortable would be $1,500, so $1,500 would be my push goal. Uh, but right now we're at about 20% of that main fundraising goal. If you would like to support the fundraiser, please go to paypal.me slash mix. That link is always in the show notes, and it's also on the link tree on the social media. If you click on that, there's actually just a button that takes you directly there. And you can uh, drop some coins in the tip jar there uh, to help with the fundraiser. 
And um, the other way is, like I said, militantlymixed.com. Click on the merch tab and pick up your Be Your Mixed Ass Self t-shirt. Again, that's a limited time open, so it'll go away after um, um, after we hit this this uh, $1,000 fundraiser. And um, so thank you to all of you who have participated so far. That was a tremendous help when it came in. It actually helped clear some militantly mixed bills, so it was perfect timing. Um, we still got a little ways to go. And, um, and hopefully we'll be able to stay on track through the end of May so that hopefully some of this other stuff that I got cooking in the background will start to happen and maybe that'll help with funding down the line. That's, that's all that, that is. I'm, I, I don't, I, I know I've been kind of down in the dumps lately and you can hear that on the podcast, you can, or on the intros anyway. Uh, and you can also, if you caught the, um, the mixed Monday live I did last week that I ended up deleting right away. Um, if you happen to have caught it uh, at all, the it just was obvious I wasn't in a very great place to be recording at the time because my depression has been uh, has been creeping back up, depression, anxiety at play at the same time. But the weird thing that's happening also is I'm swinging into like super happiness, and it kind of is happening randomly. Uh, which I'm not used to. Usually depression cuts the lights off and I don't really function very well during that time, which is why I do the mental health hiatuses to give myself a break to to try to work through that without being on the show. The weird thing that's happening right now is there's things I'm tremendously sad and upset about that I'm processing through depression and anxiety. And then there's things that are really good happening right now through podcasting and um and for myself, that is making me very hyper hype happy, hyper happy. Um, I'm not used to, um, I'm not used to that kind of a mood swing style of whatever it is that I'm going through right now. Um, usually, it's one or the other, and right now it's both, and that's very weird. I don't know how to really process through it. So that's why there's been some times I, you hear me and I just sound terribly down. And then times when you might catch me on one of the other podcast streams or something like that. And I, and I look like I have no problems. <laughs> um, it's really happening like every other day. It's a very strange thing that's happening. So I just do want to update y'all that this goal right now with the fundraiser isn't about me shutting the show down because I can't afford it. It is me trying to prevent having to temporarily shut the show down because I can't afford it. Um, but there's things I'm doing in the background um, that I that if they if they green light or if they go through or if they publish or whatever these scenarios are, hopefully we'll start raising some the profile I guess of militantly mixed and hopefully we can start getting more funding that way as well. So like I said, the goal is not to shut it down. The goal may be I just go on an extended hiatus for a couple months rather than one month until we can afford to do the show again. That might be the possibility. So we'll see. But hopefully we raise the $1,000 and we don't have to worry about anything. Uh, so yeah, in the show notes, those links are there. Or if you just go to the link tree on the social media, um, that link is there as well. And that'll help get us back on track. Um, so thank you for that cousins. Uh, and then I think that's pretty much all that I have to talk about. I, um, 
if you're following any of the other stuff I'm doing, you might be getting insights into some of the other stuff. So um, if you do follow my comic book shop, Gulf Coast Cosmos, I have talked a few times on the lives for the shop um, about my transition out. It is pretty emotional for me, even though I know it was a, a good decision, a, a logical decision. It's still um, emotionally kind of difficult to be doing, um, but it is necessary. So you'll see me kind of talk a little monotoned about it because I'm trying not to be emotional about that. Um, but I'm also just really excited to finally be able to focus um, majority of my time on podcasting because that, that's been my main love for the last four years that um, I know this is the path. Like, I'm so glad I did the comic book shop. I've always wanted to have a comic book shop and I'm, I'm glad to know that I was able to do it for the time that I was able to do it. Um, but in a conversation I had with a friend the other day where they were describing something in their own life, they said, um, I was there for my season and when my season ended, I found something that, um, I was happy to do. I, I you know, continue to be happy to do. And I'm just kind of absorbing that idea. Like I, I was at the shop for my season. Uh, that season was about two and a half years and, um, and now it's just time to transition to, into something different. And for me, that is um, my goal for the last four years to 100% be able to focus on podcasting. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, and yeah, okay, so let's get into today's episode. Uh, today, my guest, Devin J. Hall, a.k.a. the Loudmouth Brown Girl, is a writer and a podcaster and also the first person of color certified cannabis certified educator in British Columbia, Canada. Um, I met Devin back in 2020 as part of my, uh, when I was going through the logo change. So for, if you've been with me for a couple of years, you know, it was a really emotional experience I had when I, when I was, um, it, had, it, it had been addressed through a listener that my, the Japanese flag, flag that I had represented in my logo was actually the war flag, which was very much of a sign of imperialism and colonization and violence to the rest of Asia. And that wasn't something that I really understood because I had a different perspective of it in the way that I was, I grew up in. But after paying attention to that, really within an hour of, of the message I received, I knew I had to change my, my logo. And that was an emotional process, and I, I talked about it openly on the show, but um, that word got out a little bit, and so I was invited on Devin's show to talk about it as well. Um, and that's how we met. Over the course of the last year and a half that we've known each other, Devin and I have had some complicated conversations about, um, I guess, just the difference of perspective between the two of us. Devin was, is um, a, a mixed black and, and white person, but was raised predominantly in whiteness. And a lot of times that internalized anti-blackness, um, white supremacy is hard, is very much at play. And some of the conversations we've had have been addressing those moments so much so that the very first conversation we have was the first time they actually kind of referred to themselves as mixed in to themselves kind of and publicly, I guess. So we talk about that a little bit on this episode as well, um, because y'all might not be as familiar with Devin as, as I am. And uh, so over the course of the last year and a half, as we've gotten to know each other, there's there's been call-out conversations that we've had 
where um, Devin will say something and I'll be like, whoa, that's your internalized self-hate talking or, you know, that's that's white supremacy at play. Let's get into it. And so a lot of what we talk about today is is that arc of interrogating, self-interrogating when you um, do finally realize that you have internalized anti-blackness or internalized racism of any kind um, or prejudice and uh, and to see that work at play and to be able to give yourself grace enough to do the learning that you need to do to get there. And that is a big part of what we talk about today on this episode. Um, I'm going to put links in the show notes to how to get access to Devin's um, Loudmouth Brown Girl blog and, and podcast. But also just to know, she mentions a live stream that they started back in February because I recorded towards the end of January, beginning of February with her. Um, and it just didn't pop up in the schedule to drop the episode earlier. So I do apologize for that, but this is going to be a series and an ongoing new podcast. And so, um, when you go to the loudmouth Brown girl website, you will see the, the goddess sessions, goddess sessions, I think they're called, um, podcast listed, but, uh, February 10th was the very first live stream that they did. And it is on the loudmouth Brown girl YouTube channel. So I would say go to the loudmouth Brown girl YouTube channel and subscribe on that so that you can, you can check in on those when the, when the future episodes of the goddess sessions do happen, not to mention loudmouth Brown girl itself. And, uh, with that, I think we're good. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming our latest cousin to the Militilly Mix family, Devin J. Hall, the Loudmouth Brown Girl. Today, I am joined by uh, Devin J. Hall, who I met through their podcast a couple of years ago, I guess, at this point, because Devin had overheard through one of the many Facebook groups me go through my logo change journey. And so they invited me over to their show so we could talk about that. And since then, we've we've maintained some kind of contact. And this is the first time we've had an opportunity to get Devin on the show. Uh, so Devin, why don't you introduce yourself and let's get into it. Hey, thank you for using they. I love that. Um, she works too, just so you know, either one. Um, I'm the Loudmouth Brown Girl, founder of loudmouthbrowngirl.com, author of one book called Uncomfortable, working on my second book, uh, Goddess Sessions, new podcast coming up, workshop coming up, uh, just hired a publicist. Nice. Not quite, not quite as busy as Auntie Maine. No, I there. think you are busy. <laughs> get there. <laughs> oh, and and certified cannabis coach now. Yeah, I was gonna say, how did you let this much time go by without without mentioning that you are I'm one still... of? <laughs> well, okay, fine. I'll, I'll give you a pass. For that one. <laughs> I'm one of Canada's very few certified cannabis educators. Yes. So I, I, yeah, that's what I wanted you to say, and because I think that's important. The only one in BC of color. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, it's not wild in terms of, I understand that there are systems in place that make it 
preventative in a lot of cases for black and brown people to do things. Um, but wild that I know the one. <laughs> <laughs> you would actually. Yeah. 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 Um, that's also what I say. My hair is driving me crazy today. Just, I'm sorry that I keep touching my head. Um, that's what I also say about the comic book shop here in Houston is that we're, we're the first black owned, Blasian owned, queer owned comic book shop in Texas, technically, but I'm pretty sure that for that description, the whole world, because what are the odds? Uh, but we're the 21st black owned comic book shop in the United States. Wow. So like, that's not enough, you know, like that's not enough comic book. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I can't find people that are owning their shop as like an Asian American comic book shop owner or something like that. So, so for right now, I'm like the only Asian person I know that owns a comic book shop, but I'm also a black which, person that owns a comic book shop. <laughs> which is cool though. Cause Asia has a lot of really neat comic books. Well, like, yeah. Like some crazy cool stories in their books. There are like Asian owned bookstores who have manga and things like that too. Um, like the one that I grew up going to was Kinyo Kunya, which is like a, a chain bookstore in a lot of Japanese um like shopping centers and things like that in, in the States, maybe elsewhere. I don't know, but my access to, to them were in LA and San Francisco. Uh, but like in terms of it being exclusively like designed to be a comic book shop, I've, I haven't been able to find anybody online. That's like Asian American owned comic book shop. You know, they, they don't message in Asian spaces nearly as much as like black people will call something black owned, you know? So still yeah. working on trying to figure that out, but I'm glad that you said that's the words I wanted you to get to, which was, <laughs> you know, premier person of color it's in the still, cannabis it's, world. It's still wild to me that I'm like the first mixed race cannabis educator in British Columbia. Like I'm the I'm the first mixed race anything yeah. is weird to me. Yeah. But the fact that it's cannabis when cannabis is predominantly like a black thing, I'm like, really? Well, in terms of the way the system is set yeah. up for, you know, legalized, it's it's yeah. It does make sense. It's unfortunate that it makes sense in that particular respect, I guess, um, the way I feel about it. But um, but yeah, I I I've been I've witnessed you go through part of that journey towards certification. And um, since we've since we met and everything. And um, I just think that. While I know that it is an uphill battle, I also experience as a, you know, brown business owner in in a space that we're not usually welcome i i'm just glad that you kept pushing that ball up that hill you know to get to get to that it's pretty space. cool yeah it's pretty dope so one of the things that i we've wanted to record in the past and we just haven't gotten around to it but one of the biggest reasons why i've wanted to record with you for militantly mixed specifically is because when we when i was a guest on your show and we were talking about my experience with um, my logo and things like that. As I was talking, you had stopped me to tell me that you had never really realized or, or even necessarily identified yourself specifically as a mixed race person. And that it was like the first time you were really kind of saying that to another person um, was to me on your show. So I, I have been wanting to kind of talk to you more about that through Militantly Mixed, I guess. Uh, to get into like how we how do we get to the place that it's not until I'm a guest on your show that you identify yourself as mixed. Oh, <laughs> coming in hot. This is the easy questions right off the bat. <laughs> it's just smooth right in there. 
Um, some softballs, you know, just some softballs. <laughs> that is a long ass story. I think it was just because I was so isolated. I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And anybody that's in Alberta, I'll tell you, it's the Texas of Canada. It's oil, it's conservatism, it's Catholicism, it's Christianity, it's big four, right? And it's predominantly a lot of white people. And so being mixed race is not something we talked about in the 90s when I was growing up. And even though I had a lot of black family and a lot of black community back in the 90s, it wasn't something we addressed. It was like, you were black. I was, I was black, period. I was light-skinned black, and that pissed off some of the aunties who were dark-skinned and got called some really nasty names. But we didn't discuss what it meant to be mulatto or Creole or mixed race. And so it took me a really long time, A, to learn those words, and then B, to accept that as part of my identity and not feel ashamed for being mixed race. Because when we did talk about it, it was always in kind of a negative context mm. that I wasn't like a pure blood. Uh, and I've seen that from you too. And even in the way that I'm going to say this might, might sound negative, but that's not the, it's not the way that I'm about to mean what I'm about to say. Um, so if I had to keep explaining afterwards, I will, uh, there's, I, I will say that in the exchanges we've had both in group chats and individual chats, it's been obvious to me that you've grown up in a predominantly white space where white supremacy was so strongly internalized that even like how you address your blackness or darker skin blackness, I'm hearing the white supremacy in it a lot of the times. And so there's been times when we've been in conversation that you'll start to say something. And, and then I'll, 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 I'll like, I can tell you and I grew up different, like that I grew up immersed in blackness where whiteness was not primary. And Mm. then, and that you grew up, where whiteness was primary and that it, it, it was even at times I feel like I've, I've watched you even struggle to get the words out of what you're trying to say about your own. Yeah. I guess, I guess blackness or, but specifically like, I guess this leads me to the question of how did you describe yourself as loudmouth Brown girl in your branding early on before you even got to describing yourself as mixed man, the softballs. I am just like, I am not an intrepid reporter at all. Am I? I'm sorry to hit you so strong at the time, but like you, that's how I met you. You were the loudmouth Brown girl already, you know, but you weren't describing yourself as mixed. So let's talk about how you get, how you get from, how do you get to a brown white identity? <laughs> white supremacy. I guess maybe. I, uh, no, straight up, man. I got arrested on an airplane for having a panic attack in 2017. And the cop was a white guy and I was screaming. I was scared. I'm trying to, on one hand, explain what's going on. On the other hand, being like pissed off and angry that I have to comfort other people while I'm having a panic attack. And a lot of people being like, she's brown and she's freaking out on an airplane. She must have a bomb. No, it's my first solo trip and oh. I am scared and I am not, I'm afraid of heights and I'm alone and I don't have anybody to lean on and I'm coming home to having to acknowledge 30 plus years of childhood sexual abuse and trafficking that I didn't want to deal with and the cop called me a loudmouth brown bitch and I went, I'm going to make that a brand. So you took it for power. Oh, I was pissed. I was like, you are going to hear. I, so I told him that Oprah 
was going to be interviewing me one day and he was going to hear this story on the paper and he was going to feel like some kind of fool because I was so angry. I was in distress. I needed help. I needed support and I wasn't getting it. And on top of that, the man left bruises on every inch of my body, my Mm. knees, my wrists, my ankles, my, like every part of me was bruised. Mm. And I came home and I was like, no, man, after everything I've been through, and everything I've done to help other people, because I, I did, I worked in addictions for 18 years. I was a helpful person. I was bitter and I was angry and I flipped that around and I said, I'm not letting you have that. I'm taking that. You're taking And I'm power. using it. And yeah. it was meeting you. I, I, I had said, yeah, I'm mixed race, but it was always kind of like, yeah, I'm mixed race. Like it was sort of downplayed. Like it was your dirty little secret. Yeah, exactly. I, I would see. downplay it. I would whisper it. I wouldn't like proclaim it. And then we were on my show and you were like, be your mixed race self. And I was like, I'm going to be my mixed race self. (laughs) And you just instilled in me this pride for the fact that like, there's nobody on earth like me. Yeah. There are a lot of Creole people, but there are no English, Irish, Scottish, Gypsy, Jamaican people. I am one of a kind. What are you, what are you describing when you're calling yourself Creole? English, Irish, Jamaican, Gypsy, and Scottish. Okay. I yeah. guess I don't understand Creole yeah. to mean that. I I, spe- I understand Creole to mean of Black, French, and Spanish descent from like okay. the Caribbean area and and Louisiana and stuff like that in in the states. Okay. Um, yeah, I the way it was explained to me is that it's a mix of anybody from the Caribbean with anybody from Europe. And so my mom is from Europe and my dad is from Jamaica. And gotcha. so okay, um, yeah, that's okay. Um. And oh, so wait, your mom is from England, or yeah, she's, she's born and raised in England, and then she moved to to Canada in an army okay. town. Yeah, okay. She uh, was yeah. born in an army town, and she deserted her family in British Columbia and moved to an army town because that's what Alberta used to be. Really? Yeah, <laughs> so, that's funny. It's very full circle for her. Yeah, because my my like my British family through my my nana my black grandfather from america went to england married an english white woman and brought her here um so i i i use the british versus saying white when i talk about that part being part of my mix because i'm like i need people to understand i'm talking about a very specific kind of whiteness but i also realize in saying that i'm claiming britishness as entirely white and not like that there are brown people all the way throughout um the UK oh, and yeah, stuff like that. So I'll do like the, 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 the British hyphen white old. or, you know, like, or that my British <laughs> yeah. is, or my white is British white. You know, I'll say, I'll say things like that too, to try okay. to make it clear because while my mother is also half white or she has a, a white parent, I don't know that side of the family. So I don't identify with the ethnic, the white they have um, yeah. because I, you know, I don't know them, uh, but I did know my Nana and I had the Britishness growing up. I also have British relatives that ended up in Canada too. I had my Nana came to the States, her brother went to Canada and her sister went to Australia. So basically wherever white people that have come from the colonial England, they went to those places (laughs) to be white in those places. And I have black family. This is why I love us because we're, we're similar, but we're opposite. I have black family in like New York and Toronto and Chicago and Detroit and England and so like where your white family is my black family is so I I feel like somehow down the line we're probably cousins well that's also I mean it's not by accident that I refer to the the listeners and the guests as cousins because I feel like 
Well, I, I'm taking it in the very black sense of the term, right? Yeah. Is that because of the transatlantic slave trade and because of the way they separated our families so much when we when we were enslaved, that we as black people, in particular here in the United States, um, refer to each other as family off the jump because we might be. They literally traded us around places so we could be engaging with a family member without even realizing that we're we're related. And so that's why generally black people refer to each other as cousins or or feel like cousins wherever we go. And that felt very correct for militantly mixed, like not instantly, but in the in the first few. I don't remember when I started doing it. I, I know I was thinking it before I started doing it, but at some point it made sense to start referring to the guests of the show. And the listeners as cousins, because it's like, you know, we're all mixed and we're all we regardless of what our mixes are, we're we're all experiencing some form of shared. You are not enough of in some in some cases or you are too much of. (laughs) And that's that's kind of what Lama Brangrel is. It's like for some people, it's like, look at my logo. It is a soldier smoking cannabis. Yeah, like that. That is, I think my logo is in part kind of a shout out to militantly mixed because I'm wearing the shorts now. I'm not going to show you because they are booty, 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 booty <laughs> shorts. But <laughs> when we're recording camera, but um, the logo is a soldier smoking a joint, and she is yeah. done. She's t- like she's done. She's retired. Yeah. And some people look at that and they're like, "Oh, that's too much." And I'm like, "Good, good." Yeah. Because if it's too much for you, then get out of my way and let me make space for the people that need to sit down and smoke a joint because they too are done. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, radicalism or militancy comes in a a bunch of different forms for for a lot of people. And I mean, unfortunately for a lot of Black people, literally taking a breath is being radical, is like existing radically, right? Or just take taking up a space is is a radical behavior and it shouldn't have to be like we should just be able to live but we we don't um always get those those spaces and then the street yeah wearing wearing our fashion i mean like it's so rare that i see black girls in any mix any any like shade walking down the street but when i do their fashion is always on point and i'm like yes (laughs) <laughs> there you are holding it up for the culture because there's so few of us out here in Vancouver, right? Yeah, I guess I, you more so than me are experiencing what it's like to live in a, in a place that's that's very non-brown. I, I have lived in pretty white spaces before, but um, Bridgewater, Massachusetts being probably the, the most of that that I ever experienced where um, like I found one black dude in town that owned a skateboard shop and I don't skate, but I used to hang out at a shop just because he was the only other black person that I saw in town. That could never be me. Somebody asked me, they're like, do you want to move to Boston? And I went, no. Oh no. Boston is like the most racist no. place I've ever lived. <laughs> like, and I tell people this too, because when, when I, I when, value my life, thank you. I want to stay alive. Boston might be beautiful to visit, but no, I, it, I can't do it. It is a beautiful city. It is an easy quick trip if you need to you know blah 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 but they segregate their white people and so if your white people are segregated it's very different like and and the reason why i say in boston their white people are segregated versus like there's an italian neighborhood there's an irish neighborhood like in in new york you get the sense that like the neighborhoods started because 
like-minded or like culture immigrants move to the same area, right? All Irish move to this area, all that, whatever. That's what you get the sense of in New York. In Boston, you get the sense of the Irish were allowed to live in this part of town and the Italians were allowed to live in this part of town and the English were allowed to live everywhere else. Like that's legitimately how Boston feels when you, when you go there. And then I live just too much damn pressure. It's a lot. And I live just south of Boston, like 45 minutes. But it but, you know, that mentality of just like, you know, not even realizing that you can take up space every single where and every single place you can go was the vibe there for white people. And it was very frustrating. And the amount of times I had to explain to friends and quotation fingers why they couldn't say the N word just because they knew me. Um yeah, I've never had to answer that question so many times in my life. In fact, I can't think of a single time I've had to answer that question outside of Boston. <laughs> See, and it's funny because my friends used to say it all the time. And they're like, it's cool because we're friends. And I'm like, no, but it's not. But it's not. And it's and honestly, not. like, not all of mixed people that are mixed with black say it too. Not all black people say, you know, like there's, there's just one person. The last time that I really said it, it was, was when I was being abused by a black man. And I said to him, like, if I'm calling you this, it's because you are acting real, not right. Mm. Like I do not use that word lightly. And I was pushed so far and it was such a drastic emergency situation. And I look back at that and I'm like, I didn't handle that with grace at all. Yeah. And granted, Given the situation, there was no reason for me to you, handle that. You had you. You also, I think it's fair to say you also have a lot of internalized, like mm-hmm. you have you have things you've had to work out in terms of like, yeah. like the anti-blackness you were taught. Yeah, because um, I remember, it is like, oh wow, wait a minute, you mean people aren't allowed to say that? You mean people aren't allowed to do that? Like I'm allowed to say no to this? Is a lot of what I've been going through the last five years of Loudmouth. Mm, yeah because I remember when when we when we met there were there were times when it was almost like you would ask a question like like it was almost like you would ask a question like a white woman like am I allowed to fill in the blank you know whatever the thing was and and it would be times when I'd come away from conversations with you that I would be like wow how do I how do I look at another brown person in the face and be like um uh, yeah. you know like yeah, there were there yeah. were times it was like difficult to to try to get there and, and, and there's and that's that's the part because i know that that happens right and it's like if you don't have anybody to teach you that right. is like you you don't know any better and so then you're often like well okay well now i feel like a dumbass because i didn't know because nobody told me that i was allowed excess. to be angry i was allowed to be hurt i was allowed yeah. to be sad i was allowed to be whatever it was that i was right and so now i'm working all that out and i'm going I lost out on a lot of who I could have been mm. because yeah. I like, let me make this very clear to your audience. So I love my white mother. My mother has saved my life more times than I can count. I would not mm. be alive without her, but the whiteness that she comes from the mm-hmm. British whiteness, there is a lot of supremacy in that. There was a lot of supremacy in, in the men that abused me. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of um, it's us versus them mentality. And so I was trained by my abusers to believe that I was less than right because of the color of my skin. And so now I'm just kind of starting to unpack that and then come, come out from under that. And there's a lot of people that are looking at me sideways and I'm like, look, I'm learning. 
Yeah. And you're owning up the learningness too. That like I this love is the way not you say a, that. Owning up the learningness. Like I, I put I put ness at the end of everything. It's, <laughs> someone pointed it out yesterday. I was like, oh actually I do do that. Um but like you like right, like it's not um you get one lesson and you're like anti-blackness is solved. You know? Yeah. Um there there's a lot of anti-blackness all over the world. There's a lot of anti-blackness in the black community. Mm-hmm. Also internalized self-hate and all that other kind of stuff that happens because we're all living and existing in the Western world in a, in white supremacist system, right? So there's that. If you're also raised in, a, in an environment in which your your only influence is this treatment of you are lesser than because of the color of your skin. When were you supposed to figure it out by yourself? That part. You know what I'm saying? So like, <laughs> you don't just take one lesson and you're like solved. I got this. You know, yeah. there might be certain things that click on occasion where it's just like, oh, okay, I get what's happening here. Now let me apply that to other situations and, and that'll help. It'll heal, right? It'll help yeah. healing. But it's not a fast thing. It's constant engaging. It's constant well, look pausing. Look at the way I wear my hair. Like even the way I wear my hair, pulling mm. my curls back, hiding my curls, right? Like I dyed my hair purple because I was like, I want everybody to be proud of my hair. I don't want them to touch my hair, but mm-hmm. I want them to know that I have black hair. But then I put it in a bun, right? Are it's you putting it in a bun hair. because you are trying to hide your, your curly it's hair? Or are you? I, it's because I'm comfortable with that because that's how I was raised was to put my hair back so mm. that people couldn't pull it. They couldn't yank on it. Oh, they I couldn't see. touch it. Or alternatively, because it was cleaner, it was neater, it was more polite, it was more respectable to have my curls pulled back instead mm. of having my afro out, right? So now as an adult, I have to get comfortable feeling my hair on the back of my neck. How that often seems... do you put yourself in the position to do that? Never when I'm on camera. Oh, really? Well, really. Hmm. Very rarely when I'm on camera because I'm always touching it. I'm playing with it. I'm pushing it off my shoulders. I'm fidgeting and I'm trying to look professional. Mm. So I tend to like, I tend to put it up um, because I don't want people commenting on my hair. Mm. Right. And so it's the makeup that I wear. Don't wear red lipsticks because your lips might look too big. Well, Charmaine, you have beautiful big lips and I love them and I wish my lips were bigger. So what do I do? I put on that red lipstick and I don't give a damn what anybody thinks about it. Yeah. So in your case, it's like, it's, it's tackling sections at a time. It's yeah. easy. You got to the lip thing easier than you, you've gotten to the hair thing. And yeah. so baby steps, you'll eventually try to get there or something like eventually that. Eventually right? my hair is going to be wild. and free. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we were talking off camera before we got started um, about like the different ways that we feel about our hair. And I told you that when I shaved my head, I, my intention or my belief was that I was going through my mixed black girl thing but um instead i was going through an asian boy hair journey um which is very frustrating to this right now because it's messing with my my own internal ethnic identity mm-hmm. because i i look way more asian now than i've ever looked before and mm-hmm. i've it's always been harder to identify as a mixed asian because my mixed my asian side is not owning me necessarily at well they they own me as family they might even own me as Asian, but they don't own me as Japanese specifically. Yeah. Because I wasn't born in Japan and I'm not full-blooded. So to look more Asian right now, and even to be, because of the mask wearing, identified as East Asian for the first time in my life, um, it's like fucking with my, my self-image too. 
Yeah. Um, so as I'm growing good, my hair out. Good, a good mix or a bad mix or like is it in between? Well, no, it's it's not like I, I love my ethnic heritage and my cultural heritage and stuff like that. I'm I'm comfortable with these things. I'm less comfortable. How do I say it? Like everybody, it doesn't matter that I'm mixed main, you know, the the mixed race podcaster. I go through my moments of invalidation or imposter syndrome, you know, too. And because my identity is so strongly rooted in my blackness first, to be not seen as black is really difficult for me sometimes. And and while I love wearing the masks because it keeps people at arm's length, <laughs> like honestly, like this i'm i'm not mad at it actually like i didn't nope. think about it until this but now i'm like yeah i don't want you to see my face you don't you don't deserve my face um uh i like being i it's really just that i'm being seen as east asian because my hair as it's growing out is coding asian um east asian and then my coloring and and my um when i cover my lips and my nose all of a sudden i look more asian and i just like no one ever saw me as Asian. I'm in my 40s when I get seen as Asian. So it's it's messing with me because people could always, at least Black people could always identify me as Black, but like even white people could identify me as non-white. Mm-hmm. And that's it's messing a new with phase It's you. just a new thing, right? So yeah. it's like messing with that identity stuff. So, you know, bit by bit as my hair grows back out, I think it'll become more obvious that I am mixed black again, you know, like to the population, even if I have to cover up my lips and my nose. See, it's funny because I watch you talk and like some moments you tilt your head one way and I'm like, yep, she looks Asian. Yeah. And other times you tilt your head another way and I'm like, that a black girl. Yeah. So that happens all the time on the show. Like I I remember in particular, this one guest of mine, she was Afro-Cuban and Jewish and when she turned her head one way, she was straight up Latin, Latina, like straight up Latina. Yeah. And then she turned this other way and she kind of just looked like a regular old black girl that just, she, you know, curly hair and pale. And then she went another way and I was like, oh, okay, I can see like the, like a, a Jewish thing or something like that. And it was weird because it was really just like, you know, it was like, boom, boom, boom. She hit all <laughs> of that. Her that says a lot about what we think about what people are supposed to look like based yeah. on where they come from. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it changes. It changes so much. I, I was talking to, on another episode, I was I was telling um, a fellow Black Asian person that uh, when we were off camera, I think, or maybe, no, we were on, we were on camera at the time. And I, I said to him that because I was Black and Japanese, if I tell people I'm Black and Japanese, I've actually had people say, but you don't look like Naomi Osaka at all. As if she's, because she's the only <sighs> Black Japanese people person that people can identify broadly. I was supposed to look just like her. Um, and I'm like... I'm getting Simone Biles now. You don't look like Simone Biles. I'm like, first of all, Simone oh, Biles that's, is 20 that's, years younger than me. So just That's stop. the black person you're supposed to look like? <laughs> wow. She's 20 years younger than me. Come on now. I mean, same with She don't with look Naomi. like me. It's just that black don't crack and Asian don't raisin. So Naomi and I look the same age. <laughs> Until, of course... Like oh, that's so smooth. I like that. I've been saying that since I was like twelve. <laughs> um, I should have learned about trademarking when I was a kid. Um, but seriously, I should put that on a shirt. Like, well, there's somebody who owns the website, which drove me crazy because I went to go look for it because I've been saying it my whole life. I don't know who 
if if there's someone who literally came up with it first but like i've been saying it since i was a teenager so i was like let me see if it's on the yes sure enough someone already has it so whatever it's fine whatever you should have them on the show um i don't even know how to identify who the person is but like i see it on tiktok it's popping up as a hashtag and stuff like that like so i know there's other people that there's a new one out um very asian that my friend michelle started that i love on twitter right now because somebody they wrote in or they called in and they were like, I don't appreciate her talking about dumplings because if a white person talked about what they ate, they'd be fired. And I, I was saw like, that. I was like, oh, Michelle, if you don't jump on this, I'm going to because it pissed me off so much. I saw that. TikTok, and then yeah. I tweeted it out to one person to like one Asian celebrity that I knew on my timeline. And next thing I know, I'm following like 40 Asian people. And every day now, all I see is very Asian. And I'm like, Y'all know the black chick wrote the blog post first, right? Like, <laughs> it's it's funny um, because I saw this TikToker and she's half Japanese, half white, but to me she looks Japanese with just like bigger eyes. Like literally, the bigger eyes are the only indication she okay. might not be ethnically full Japanese to me. Um, and but the comment on her TikTok is um like something like not a whole white woman pretending or learning Japanese, like, or all white women are learning Japanese now or some is whatever it was basically just getting at her for being a white woman with the audacity to learn Japanese. And then, so she took the song, um, I am 17, I am 16 going on 17. And and she just changed the words to I am Japanese going on Japanese. I am still Japanese. (laughs) And that's it. And it's like, I, it's funny because I would have never looked at her and assumed whiteness. And yet so many yeah. times on this show, especially with white Asians, they'll come to me being like, I'm a white assumed person and stuff like that. And I'll look at them and I'm like, but your face, like, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand this. Um, but it, I was yeah, on it, a show not too long ago and one of the audience members were like, she's not even black. Boy, just like move along. I don't even, I don't entertain it anymore. I'm like, whatever. Just go away. As okay, if peace. Black people don't look like every possible, like we don't all look alike. Black hair, brown hair, yellow hair, red hair, white hair, blue eyes, brown eyes, black eyes, yellow eyes, dark skin, all the way down to the palest of pale skins, and literally all be black. Like, but let's, let's pretend that's not. My niece is white possible. presenting. My nephews are white presenting, and they are their parents are black. I'm sorry to tell you, like. We have infiltrated your genetics. <laughs> um, there is no escape from blackness. Yeah. So like the there, solution. There, there's that there's that kind of stuff that that's just yeah. Um, the way people perceive us, we we have to get to a place that we don't need the that external validation. Is and I'm guilty of it too. There are times one of my favorite memories of all time, and I think about this woman all the time, and I've never I never met her. But I was pulling into a parking lot. No, I was pulling out of a parking space at a parking lot at a mall. And I was um, I was about to drive away. And this woman's waving me down and flagging me down. And so I rolled down my window. I'm like, are you okay? Do you need help? And she said, go ahead, girl, with your purple hair. Go ahead, mermaid hair. And then smacked my car a couple times and then kept saying, go ahead, while keep continuing to walk away. Like she wasn't, we weren't going to hang out. She just wanted to let me know she saw me and my purple hair and to go ahead and have my, you know, my mermaid life, basically. I was so gassed up from that moment. Like I rode that wave for 
ever. Like, I, you know, <laughs> I would just hear her be like, go purple hair. And, you know, uh, and this is years ago. And I mean, like almost not a day goes by that I don't go like, I hope she's having a good day. And, you know, I don't know. I have, I have just, a memory like that. There's these times of validation yeah. that just come out of nowhere that feel really good. And there's I appreciate that. those. There are also those times of invalidation that you're just like, why do I need, why did I let that affect me? But when I think about it, I can be easily gassed up or easily pulled down depending on an outward, you know, thing. I remember uh, being at Pride and I was complaining because I was wearing wedges and somebody was like, well, then why are you wearing shoes? Like, why are you wearing these shoes if they hurt that bad? And I just kind of looked down and I said, do you see my black ass? And this lesbian walks by, and I knew she was a lesbian because she was holding her partner's hand, and partner happened to be a beautiful, like, just, I would have kidnapped this woman. She was that gorgeous. She was just beautiful. And she goes, she walks by, and she goes, yep. And she's got this great big grin on her face, and I kind of (laughs) wanted to go, can I come with you? And every time I put on a pair of jeans, I think about that, and I'm like, yep, still got it. (laughs) Still got that fat ass. Still got it. There are. There's just those moments that, there like, are. when you're down, you think about them, and you're like, "I don't know where you are, but damn, you made I my hope life you happy. had a good day. Yeah. Like, I just, I, I wish you all the good days. You know, yeah. because this thing. Um, it's funny too. Be, well, like, I'm glad that we can have those kinds of memories and, and things. Yeah. Um, it's it's a, it's still unfortunate that we can be invalidated um, just by someone else's decision about what we're supposed to look like. But, um, but the thing is, though. And I, I mean, I, you are one of the busy, you are the busiest woman I know, actually, sorry, let me rephrase that. You are the busiest human that I know, period. So you know this. Yes, those invalidating days suck, but you can't let them lead the way. Like you just, yeah, you, you, really can't, can't. you don't have time to just sit there and be like, oh, that person was awful to me. Okay. Yes, they were. But for that one person, you have a Facebook full of people or Facebook group right, of people exactly. that will be there to support you and lift you back up. Right. Yeah, I mean, if I let if I let those things get me down, I wouldn't still be militantly mixed, you know, podcast host and and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, that being said, it's because of moments like that that I I understand the importance of doing this kind of work too, yeah. and and also um, being a visibly mixed person that puts my face out there, that puts my voice out there. I think that kind of stuff is important because of the people that get invalidated and really legitimate, like especially in the early days, not as much anymore, but in the early days of the show, what I heard the most, or one of the things I heard the most was I thought I was the only one like this because whether they lived in a small town or whether or not they just had a family that didn't talk about it, um, they, the importance of something like militantly mixed is that people can hear other people have very similar experiences to what they're having, regardless of what their their mix is. So it doesn't matter if you're a black, white, biracial person and you're listening to a, a black and Korean uh, person or a Mexican, Iranian person. At some point, they're going to say something that is very similar to an experience you have and you can you can relate it's to that, them. That and that's moment. Yeah. And that's how we become cousins. Right. That's that's how that's why it's like, oh, yeah, we 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 experience this very similar thing. And the way that I deal with being invalidated or or being gassed up is going to be different than the way you deal with it. But hopefully in in talking about having these kind of conversations, talking about it to other people, listeners will 
learn new tools too that they may not have thought about. I've I've learned stuff from just listening to my guests sometimes that I'm just like, oh, I'm still in that. Like I want to start applying that in my life and and watching, you know, how it changes me. Um, you know, especially like from thing I can trace some of the things from from describing people as white passing to describing people as white assumed. You know, well, I told you when we when I first started joining the live chats with you guys on Sundays that um, the people in that room kind of replaced parts of my therapy, not all of my therapy, but parts of it. Right. Some of it. Yeah. Because having the stuff that your therapist can do was more therapeutic to me than going in and talking to somebody about like, I feel like I'm losing my mind because I feel like I'm not good enough. And she's like, but no, it'd be you. And it's like, okay, but if you are a white person or a white presenting person, you might not necessarily understand where I'm coming from because I'm not yeah. talking about, well, I just feel like crap because I'm a human being and today sucks. I'm talking about I feel like crap because I it's something I can't change. I cannot change the color of my skin. Yeah. Until the sun comes out and then I get even darker. <laughs> and, then, and then I'm still too dark for some people and not dark enough for other people. Yeah. Like I can't win no matter what color I am. Right. But having the militantly mixed family has been huge because even when I'm not there, I'm thinking about y'all. And it's like, well, what would Dodie mm-hmm. say? What would Charmaine say? What would this person say? And mm-hmm. that brings me back to who I am inside. And reminds me that it's okay for me to speak out and to say this is what I'm going yeah. through. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, for some people, I think it's helpful. And I, the it's helpful for me to think about it this way. Like the way, the reason why I continue to speak out or the reason why I continue to put my, my visibly ambiguous face out there is in the hopes that some random ass mixed person will hear it and see it and be like, oh, okay, I'm not alone. Yeah. Oh, okay. Here's a tool I can start using to to stop from feeling the way that you know I feel, or 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 the best thing ever, realizing that people's comments about you are more about them than they are about you, and um, and you don't have to listen. Like you just don't yeah. have to listen to to what they're saying. I've had that before. I've walked up to people and been like, "Yo, I'm a lot of my brown girl. Here's a love letter," and they're like, "But you're not black," and I'm like, "Okay, bye." <laughs> like I won't even discuss I'm like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna validate myself for you yeah and put myself through trauma to make you feel better about your opinion which by the way is wrong yeah so peace out here's your love letter <laughs> have a great life see you never like there's yeah. you know for every one person that tells me I'm not black there's 50 or 80 people that go I don't care yeah. I don't care what you are can you help me with your brand that's what they're looking for from me so I wonder what your personal experience might be like if you did move to a, a community that did have more brown people in it. I, I, I think in the beginning it would be very difficult because um, because so you weird. haven't had that experience before. It's so weird because um, my audience is predominantly white people that are like, educate me on your blackness. And I'm like, yeah, yikes. That's not what it's for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I went through it's it too. It's not my job. Yeah. I went there too. And I'll, I'll still, I'll still say this to this day. Militantly Mix is for us, by us, about us. You can listen if you're not a member of this community. You can, you can learn if you're not uh, a member of this community. You can engage in a way that helps lift up the show and share it and things like that. But what you can't do, I mean, you can, but you're not going to be addressed, (laughs) um, is come to me and tell me I need to educate you. Um, no, I don't need to, you can come to me nicely and ask if there are resources and how you can educate yourself. And I might be more willing to do that. But, um, but this is, this 
militantly mix is my love letter to mix people i'm not i here. just send people to you now when people come to me and they're like what is this like after the george floyd thing i was promoting militantly mixed like every other second because mm. i'm like go li- listen to the show it is all there everything you need to know is there um why i'm no longer talking to white people about race great book go read it the it's there go there's go. resources and literally you don't even have I to ask it. a brown person you can just go to the <laughs> googles and say like what are the book like those lists are online now that'll tell you like hey white person here are a list of books you can read if you're trying to work on anti-blackness now those are just a start like reading the book is not enough you have to um, apply action you have to constantly be working on anti-blackness you have to be doing it every day and that is whether you're that doesn't matter what your race or ethnicity is um you need to be actively doing this kind of stuff every day because you don't you may be doing those bad things without realizing it, or you may realize it and don't give a shit enough i guess that that's a possible too but the thing is is a lot of black and brown people also suffer from this because of what they've internalized and what they've been taught and it's it's hard work and yeah it's nice to have a buddy that you can reach out to and be like well how, how do i deal with this particular thing um you gotta know how going. to come to people <laughs> like not me I'm, I'm in it man i'm no I'm so like i'm still figuring i'm swimming through myself yeah like i who was it the other day one of the senators came out and was like yo uh so teachers you need to start teaching the good side of nazism and i wrote a whole post what the fuck is no, that? The, no the hell you don't like there is no good side there is no other side to Nazism. That's There's the whole like that's it. Hitler was really liked kids and was a vegetarian, to, like, and also murdered know. six million Keep Jewish people. Language. Is that what we're talking about? And it's not even just the six million Jewish people. It's all of the people who came to fight him and his commanders to save the rest of the Jewish people. Like he killed millions and millions of people. What is there that we can be teaching our kids that is good about this, right? If you're coming to Loudmouth Brown Girl for education, you're going to get it, but you're not going to get it because I want to educate you. You're going to get it because I'm pissed off. <laughs> stupid shit. Like, if white people would just stop saying stupid crap, I'd be happy. Gosh, how And then man, there'd be no more Loudmouth The Brown good Girl. side of Nazism. Like, like, this is the crap that I am combating. And so that's... this is why I wear the camouflage. This is why my logo is a, is a, a soldier smoking a joint. She's tired. She's done. She's tapping out. She just she needs a break between fights. She needs a vacation. So um we're we're actually this went by real fast. We're we're coming to the to the end of this, but um given all the stuff that we've talked about and the fact that it's been fairly recent in your in your journey, your identity journey to describe yourself as a mixed person, what have you, what do you love most about being a mixed person? I love it all. I love, okay, this is going to sound amazing, but I love my big breasts. I love my big butt. I love my big thighs. I love my big nose. I love my big lips. I love everything about me that is big that I was told that I should small make small. Mm. Um, I was a part of a group last year that I was really excited to be a part of. They were, they were like, you could be vulnerable. And then I was vulnerable. And then when they were like, no, be less vulnerable. <laughs> and I was like, peace out. Wish you all the best. Sayonara. And um, I'm still vulnerable, but now I've, I've learned how to be vulnerable in a way that protects me, protects my audience. Mm. I love the fact that my mom understands that when I talk about my irritation with white people, I don't mean her. Mm. I mean, the majority of white people that say stupid shit, like, let's protect Nazis. 
Um, I love that being black allows me to be loud. Like, let's be honest. Can you explain that a little more? If you're black, you have every right to be angry. Whatever Mm. denomination of blackness you are, whatever shade you are, we have been through denomination of blackness. Well, yeah, man, there's different (laughs) there's different kinds of black in this world. There's Christian black, there's spiritualist black, there's all different kinds. And they all have a different take on what it means to be black. And I fit somewhere in the middle. And I'm I'm loving the journey of figuring out what that looks like for me. That's good. Uh, why don't yeah. you let everybody know how to find you and how to find, I guess, your blog and the upcoming show? Uh, yeah. So the Goddess Sessions takes place on February 10th. It's going to be a really, really cool thing because it's kind of like our Militantly Mixed Sunday chats, except we're live streaming them. Okay. So we'll have three hosts, myself, Renita Quarles, and Allison Gaines. And we'll talk about some topics and then we'll invite our audience to join us. So that's nerve wracking because we have no idea who's going to show up or what they might say. But it'll be interesting. And then we're going to have a podcast in between our live streams each month um, that will go along with that as well. So you can check all of that out on February 10th on Loudmouth Brown Girl on YouTube. And you can find all the details at loudmouthbrowngirl.com. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, it's all there. Send me all those. No TikTok, though. Put them in the the show notes. No TikTok, because I'm too old for TikTok. I'm trying. I have like six videos. It's fine. It just is what it is. I'm not doing it. I refuse. There's a lot of mixed TikTok that's like hella toxic, and I would like to <laughs> to get in and try be a counter to some of that, but I don't want to put in that effort. Like I don't want I'm, to combat. I'm tired. I don't want to the do it. The soldier is retired. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So check out Loudmouth Brown Girl on all of the platforms except for the tickety talks. That's and, right. Um. And check out the live. Sh- so the live stream itself will be on your YouTube channel. Yeah. Okay. Loud my brown girl. All right. All right. So do that. And uh, yeah, so that's pretty much that's it. Thank you for coming on the show with me and chatting it up. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.